Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to As a Woman, episode 129, Lifestyle and Fertility with Dr. Ashley Eskew. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the As a Woman podcast. I am so excited to have you here today and to listen to somebody who I adore, Dr. Ashley Eskew, talk about fertility and lifestyle. Dr. Eskew received her undergrad from Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina. She got her MD from the University of Louisville in Kentucky and did residency in OBGYN at Atrium Health in Charlotte, North Carolina. She then completed her reproductive endocrinology and infertility training at WashU in St. Louis, where she concurrently obtained a Master of Science in Clinical Investigation. She is double board certified in OBGYN and REI, and her research interests for a long time have included the impact of dietary and lifestyle factors on fertility and outcomes of IVF. She's also the co-founder of OvuLifeMD, a digital education company providing women and men with evidence-based approaches to optimizing lifestyle factors that influence fertility. You are going to love hearing everything she has to say. Ashley, I'm so excited to have you on the As A Woman podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. So excited to be here. Well, I have just been a fan of yours for the longest time, and I know we've been able to connect and become more close recently, which I'm thrilled about, but I want to make sure everybody in the audience really gets to know you and what brought you on this journey. So let's just start out by how'd you go into medicine? Like, did you always want to be a doctor or what was your pathway to this point? Yeah, that's a great question. So I had an interest in medicine and in women's health specifically, actually starting in high school. Both of my parents were physicians. My dad was a family doctor. So he got to take care, you know, in like the family doctor, he took care of like all the things, right? So I got to hear a lot about that, but ultimately had some health struggles of my own in my teens that got me more interested in medicine in the first place and specifically women's health, because I found like I couldn't see anybody like me in, mm-hmm. in medicine necessarily. And so I wanted to be a part of that and a part of that change. And ultimately, you know, went to med school and then really kind of dumb luck ended up in an AI um, acting intern rotation on REI. I actually wanted to do one in Gynonk and they didn't have any spots where I wanted to go. So I look at that (laughs) worked out perfectly, right? 
I know. So I ended up doing it in REI and just had a blast. And it was so interesting to see everything from the, you know, malaria anomalies and pediatric adolescent to infertility and kind of beyond too. So, so that's what initially piqued my interest in it. And then really, you know, the rest is history, I guess. I know. Well, tell me about your journey to REI specifically, because I know from my own experience, it's so hard to match into this field and it poses a lot of opportunity for imposter syndrome and doubt and that idea of being confident in yourself that you are smart enough, good enough to match into such a competitive field. What was your experience like making that decision from OBGYN, which is already a really hard residency and a hard time to make this choice into saying, Hey, I'm going to go for this really competitive fellowship. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting because after when I was in med school, after I told my parents, I wanted to do OBGYN, they're like, no, you don't No, you don't. we're going <laughs> to sit you down with all of our OB friends and they're going to tell you why you shouldn't do it. And I'm like, I, I think at this point I realized I didn't choose it. It chose me, you know, and at that point you really just can't turn away from something either. So ultimately did do the path of OBGYN, which was really intimidating for a lot of reasons. You know, you have to be confident to be able to do a lot of the things and make snap decisions, which are so important in such a timely fashion on labor and delivery and that sort of thing. But came back to REI, I actually, when I went into residency, didn't get to do REI again until my third year. And so you get really lost in the shuffle of all the other things you're learning at OBGYN residency. I couldn't fathom doing more training after that, honestly. But when I came back around it to my third year and just being on that rotation, I was like, this is what I have to do with my life. This is absolutely what I have to do. And there was just no turning back from there. So I had to bust a move and hustle I hear so you. Late, like you said, and like, I just, you know, everybody, everybody, my mentors where I did residency were so supportive and were like, we will do anything we can to help you. But I mean, it's a ton of work, right? You got to do all the research, you got to do all the things. And everybody else was like, it's not going to happen. You decided too late. You know, I'm, I didn't go to a residency that had fellowships in it either. Um, I went to more of like a hybrid program, which people told me that would be, you know, hold me back ultimately. And I, you know, all I can say is that if you want something hard enough and you put your mind to it, you can get it. And there's no one right way to go about it either. So ultimately was able to work towards that and then ended up at WashU for a fellowship, which was a wonderful experience. So, well, it's kind of like a dagger in my side because I was at UNC when we interviewed you. And I remember we wanted you there so badly. So (laughs) you talk about this, like, Oh, maybe I wouldn't match. And I was like, this girl is a rock star. I became like the number one fan and just from the get go, because sometimes you just see somebody. And I think you said it really well, like this is just what they're meant to do. And they're doing all the things to prove how committed they are to the pathway. And that was you 100%. So I guess I'll forgive you for going to wash you. No, they have a fabulous. I did love you. Yes. Yes. I needed to get on North Carolina for a little while, which is, you know, as, as you know, is where I am now in Charlotte. So yeah. Yeah. But you know, the path, I mean, I wouldn't change anything about it. It was without a doubt, one of the hardest things I've ever done, but helped me grow in both, you know, personally, and then also just confidence, right? I mean, you mentioned that too. And I think so much of it just makes you like the imposter syndrome is real, but you know, you earned your seat at the table and, you know, sit at it and be there. So yeah. It is nice to see different practice styles of different places and different regions, because things are done a certain way or by people who are trained by the same people. 
And it's nice to see different styles to figure out what your own style is and what your own interests are. And I'm sure it was at WashU or maybe one of the things that attracted you there, because I really love that program too, is their huge emphasis on lifestyle factors and how they impact fertility. And that's something that I'm passionate about and you are too. But is that part of the reason that you went there or did that spark your interest while you were there? Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah, it was. So, you know, part of the interview process, for those of you who don't know, you learn a lot about what, you know, for REI specifically, you have to do 18 months of research. So you learn a lot about what a program, like their research background is, and you have to do it. Ideally, you do it in something that you're interested in. So it's not a miserable year and a half. So they had so many opportunities for, you know, in Kelly Moly's lab, they did a lot of the dietary stuff and impacts on um, fertility. Um, Dr. Emily Youngheim, she was super interested in that area. And it just really clicked for me. And so I knew I was interested in that before from my own personal health journey. And so that kind of carried into that. And that's, you know, then I just found this dearth of evidence that there is that supports all the lifestyle dietary changes for fertility and fertility related outcomes. And that's kind of what took me down that path. I'm sure you and I are similar on this, that there's so much evidence when you start putting your toe into the water of the studies that are out there on diet and fertility and lifestyle factors, there it's something that's hard to study. So I think it's hard to draw huge, big conclusions, but there have been so many studies and all pointing into the same direction that I do find it so interesting that it's something that's just now gaining momentum to talk about. And that's the importance of lifestyle factors on fertility. And I know there's some REIs who still don't even talk about it. They're like, oh, whatever you want to do, that's fine. Whereas It's a huge part of my counseling and how I address with patients, controlling what they can control and optimizing the environment. But were you surprised by that at first too, how different people practice with this lifestyle side of our field? I mean, I still, I think people sometimes think, uh, you know, that we overemphasize it, right. Or, you know, that it's woo woo or whatever, however you want to say it, but there is so much evidence and it's hard to do randomized control trials on this. Like I get that, but there's so much evidence pointing to the importance of it and then seeing it in your patients too, right? Like seeing the before and after, and then the actual tangible outcomes that can make such a difference is speaks volumes and you can't, you know, an N of one and is an N of one, but I do think that there is a lot to be said about that. And just the last patient that I saw today, actually, she said that she, you know, she came for a second opinion and the last physician that she saw who she did a couple of rounds of IVF with, you know, she brought up nutrition and, and their comment was, I don't believe in that stuff, you know? So I feel like there's still so much Crazy. of that that's prevalent in our field. And, you know, one of my biggest missions is to combat misinformation because there's a lot of that. And there's so many different wormholes that patients can go down with Dr. Google to say, Hey, do this or do that and, and torture themselves with it. Right. Oh, preach, and, yes. um, that that's kind of one of my biggest, biggest passions is to combat that misinformation too. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. 
I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. So let's start to fight a little bit of that. So if I was a patient who was trying to get pregnant or wanting to optimize my fertility, and I asked you about lifestyle factors, hey, does my diet matter? What about exercise or toxins? You know, what is some general advice that's good for everybody, regardless of disease state? Yeah. So general advice, you know, I kind of think about it in, in a couple of different kind of buckets, if you will. So diet, nutrition, environmental toxins, and then the mind body component, which I tend to put exercise in there too, because of just the vast mental benefits there. So in terms of diet, one of the things that I think so many women obsess over is quantity over quality, right? And like, well, mm-hmm. if I just only eat a thousand calories a day, it's not going to matter necessarily what I eat, ah. but then you're not thinking about <laughs> like You're starving yourself. Please you're stop. starving yourself. Yes. And, and that's not sustainable. You know, the first message is this is a lifestyle. It's not a short-term fix. It's something that I want you to be able to sustain through pregnancy, through postpartum for your next pregnancy and beyond. So in terms of breaking down just simple dietary things, really looking at, we mentioned the quality of food. So carbohydrates, one of the easiest things is to swap out the quality of carbohydrate that you're eating. So study after study has pointed to eating more low glycemic load carbohydrates or foods that don't spike your blood sugar and your insulin as months, which creates this just inflammatory pathway. So much of what we talk about is linked back to decreasing inflammation and, you know, really kind of lessening that, that burden in the body. And so eating lower glycemic load carbohydrates, whole grains that are already rich in natural phytonutrients and antioxidants. So swapping out, you know, white rice for brown rice, doing quinoa or, you know, other types of grains that are not so fast digesting is a very quick thing. And so what I'll usually say is just, or I'll bring up in the office is like, 
Google index glycemic load, and then look at the images and just choose foods from like the green column and do less from the yellow columns and then avoid foods in the red column. And that's like a very easy place to start in terms of carbohydrates, but don't restrict, like you don't need to go low carb. You don't need to do keto. You don't need to do all of these things. There's so much bad information. I'm interrupting you on carbohydrates out there. And I, I say the exact same things like good whole grain carbs. They've got lots of good fiber. They're very good for you. But -hmm. people get really fearful of what society has done in diet culture. As far as like carbs are the enemy carbs, make you gain weight. You need to be keto. You need to be gluten-free. And I really feel like the fertility community in an attempt to control things that they can't control has jumped on some of these diet trends online and really Mm -hmm. made it confusing for patients. Don't you see that? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. All the time. And then the gluten-free thing too. So it needs to be carb-free, gluten-free. And, and I think for patients who are gluten sensitive, have celiacs, then, then definitely, you know, either going gluten-free or, you know, knowing what you're listening to your body, number one, you know, and like how you feel after you eat in a certain way, but yeah. So the low carb, the gluten-free, that soy is the enemy, you know, these are some of like the biggest myths out there, I feel like too. And so in terms of protein, I think that's a good segue into protein too, Mm -hmm. talking about soy, you know, plant-based proteins, like data would support increasing intake of plant-based proteins in terms of decreasing ovulatory infertility, improving implantation rates, even improving like endometrial thickness in some studies too, because of the lignans in the, in the plant-based proteins. I mean, all of that is you don't have to be a vegetarian. And that's where I think it's all about balance and saying it's a lifestyle. But if you swap out even one to two meals a day for more plant-based proteins, as opposed to eating just chicken and turkey and all the lean white meats, which I mean, I used to be the boiled chicken girl, you know, like, okay, well, it's like the lowest carb, the highest protein tastes like sweat. Ugh. But you know, like now I definitely am more of a plant eater. I know? love so- it. That's exactly what I tell patients. I mean, a lot of patients I think are intimidated to talk diet, you know, I'm plant-based. And so they just are assuming I'm going to tell them don't eat meat ever, ever. Mm -hmm. And I say, look, data supports more plants, the better. So if you look at, I eat three meals a day, pick one meal to have a meat serving in it and pick the other two to force yourself to use plant-based protein sources. And automatically you're getting a more diverse array of nutrients. You know, it's better for you based on all of these studies. And so I say Mm -hmm. exactly the same thing. It's not all or nothing. It's actually each little tip that you make in the favor of better for your body is going to be good for your eggs, your uterus, your embryos, all of the things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then same, you know, I kind of approach I'm like, all right, plants, you know, the best, right? If you can take that and then seafood sources of protein are also excellent. So, you know, there's some, some great studies out there about um, couples who even eat a couple servings of salmon a week, you know, that's really naturally rich in, you know, anti-inflammatory omega-3s and a shorter time to pregnancy, you know, less intake of the high mercury, you know, speaking of environmental toxins, that sort of stuff, type fish, um, like tuna, limiting that to maybe one time a week, but, you know, plants and then seafood, and then kind of bringing in, if you can eat like the high quality type meats that are grass-fed, organic, free range. And I think one of the limiting factors, and I'd be interested to hear what you think about this too, on data on meat intake specifically and fertility related outcomes is that we don't really have any studies that control for high quality versus low quality meats. You know what I mean? Like there are, yes. there are differing levels I told of a patient, in that, all of that. I told a patient this today is that the problem is that some studies group all meats together. So you have like really poor quality meat with excellent quality. And then other studies will have, okay, all red meat, but they're not quantifying for what. So mm-hmm. we have to 
I'm going to take it with a grain of salt, but we have to kind of put it in context. It does look like, should you be having, you know, beef in general for every meal? No, but <laughs> if you're going to choosing high quality sources for when you have it, it makes sense. And right. I always say just because we don't have a study proving something doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Some things are really tough to study and we both know it can take a lot to get funding for research, to do nutrition-based population cohort studies. You need a ton of people, you need a lot of money, a good research team. And so some of these factors are hard to evaluate. So the meat studies in general are very diverse and for how they categorize meat and seafood and red meat altogether, are they separated out? And there's nothing that's looking at you know, your say high quality meats versus other ones. And so I think that's just interesting as a consumer, when you're absorbing that information, trying to help patients understand the limitations of it and just make better choices when they make them. Right. Absolutely. And I think there's ways to, you know, one of the biggest challenges I feel like is also involving the partner in this conversation. And a lot of times um, men love their meat, you know, but you can find ways to mix it in and maybe do like half lentils, half ground beef or something like that too, for some of those. But in general, I say, you know, red meat sparingly as well, just because um, most data would support that with the more types of inflammatory fats that are found in that as well. But carbohydrates, looking at the high quality whole grains, and then in terms of proteins, looking more plant-based proteins, seafood sources of proteins, and even things like tempeh tofu that have soy in them. Also, I feel like that gets a bad rap too, and, and are fine in moderation, yeah. you know, and data would actually support eating, eating that over other sources of protein too. I say almost the exact same spiel when I give my like lifestyle handout and talk to patients about lifestyle. It's like high end fruits and vegetables, healthy fats, high quality meats, but not meat at every meal, you know, mm -hmm. emphasize plant-based protein sources, whole grains, limit mm -hmm. processed foods, refined, you know, carbohydrates and sugars. And so mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. really, and I tell everybody something is that none of this is like going to be a news flash to you, right? This is essentially what people are saying over and over again is a healthy diet and studies are supporting not just for your eggs or your uterus, but for your heart, for your brain, for longevity, for cancer prevention. And right. so all studies are kind of rowing in the same direction as far as the things that you eat impact right. the disease state of your body. And we both know infertility is a disease. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that it's, you know, it's not a one size fits all approach and it's not something that you have to like totally overhaul overnight. I mean, it's like making one choice every day and that's going to add up to something much bigger over the long haul too. And so I, yeah, I think that's, that's super important to remember. I love that. So after diet, what's your kind of next focus when you talk about lifestyle? Yeah. So in terms of beyond diet, looking at things, you know, I usually talk about supplements with diet mm -hmm. too. I feel like so much misinformation about supplements out there, but taking a good prenatal with folic acid in it, that sort of thing. If you're vitamin D deficient, supplementing that, if you are a vegetarian, making sure your B12, you know, you have that checked and or supplementing that appropriately if needed, but then looking at environmental toxins, I mean, they're in and all around us, right? I, you know, generally talk about the things that are your highest contact points because I think none of us can live in a bubble, right? But what are the things that, you know, you touch or drink or consume every single day that could impact your fertility too? So one of the things I talk about most frequently is BPA exposure, bisphenol A exposure, which has been linked with infertility and miscarriage is found in a lot of the hard plastics. It's used as a plasticizer and, you know, swapping out your plastic water bottles for stainless steel water bottles, your hot coffee cup. I drank out of a plastic coffee cup for 
you know, five years. Same. <laughs> I mean, so yuck. Funny. And think about and it. Think about all the like disposable water, which sometimes that's your best choice, but like they sit in a hot truck being transported right. places like in plastics. And my mind right. is just blown at right. how much plastic we've been exposed to over, you know, the course of our life for us eighties babies. Yeah. It's pretty bad. It is so oh. bad. And like the cellophane wrapped meals that you like microwave, like the convenience meals that were in pla- like in med school. My, what about easy know. Mac? Do you remember that stuff? Did you do it in college? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. So, so bad. Um, so that, and then, you know, the microwave meals are so convenient and then you have, yeah. So it's decreasing exposure to that as much as possible. So reheating your foods in glass instead of plastic, taking your, you know, stuff that has more acid in it. If you have like a tomato based juice or something and putting that in glass instead of plastic, even if you're not reheating it, what you drink out of, and then, you know, simple things like the thermal covering on thermal receipts is, has BPA in it. So the fast, like the great news is, is that there's a short half-life with this stuff. So if you make changes today, it's going to improve things in a pretty short order. So by decreasing your exposure today, it could help, you know, very, very, very soon. So I think that that's important to remember. And then pesticide residues. There's so much data on pesticide residues now in the earth study. And I thought that that was pretty fascinating that higher intake of, you know, high pesticide residue produce was associated with a number of negative outcomes related to fertility. So really buying organic when you can, and if that's not, you know, feasible budget wise, then looking at, you know, produce that has a lower pesticide residue burden, making sure that you're washing those fruits and vegetables really, really well too. I've, okay, a few things to say here because this is so fascinating to me. So one is that I didn't ever give toxins much thought. And then in fellowship at UNC, I was involved in a research project looking at the time to conceive, which is a natural fertility data population. And we ran PFCs or perfluorinated chemical levels on everybody and go diving into that research. I was just shocked how that's like in Teflon and all these places and all the negative health impacts that exist and that people just don't talk about. I mean, we cooked on Teflon 100% of the time. And then like in BPA thinking about, like you said, thermal receipts, I mean, like airline tickets when they used to be printed out, Mm -hmm. like can liners for like canned goods. I mean, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, that's mind blowing. And then I recorded a YouTube recently on environmental toxins in the preconception and pregnancy. And it's the most boring video ever because there are so many, there's so many things. And I think the reality is we've become so accustomed to living in a world with toxins. Sometimes we don't even think about these things, that the things Mm -hmm. we eat, we put on our body that we're exposed to really can have negative health outcomes for both us, our fertility, and if we're pregnant for our pregnancy, and that we need to be paying attention to some of these factors, but it's really takes active, you know, processing, you know, changing out food, even if you get to go food, putting in a different container, like you said, not Mm -hmm. putting plastics in the dishwasher, the microwave, changing over your dishes, looking Mm -hmm. at your products when it comes to phthalates and things like that. It really is very, very interesting how Mm -hmm. much data is out there about just health impacts when it comes to a lot of these toxins. And even though there's not a perfect human study on egg quality, because human eggs are so hard to study, we'll take them out of the body. That's called IVF. That's a very (laughs) tough study to do. You know, you look at some of the mouse-based studies on egg quality and ovarian reserve when it comes to exposure to these chemicals. And it's eye-opening as far as you know, perhaps why we're seeing, you know, increased rates of DOR, more infertility, some of these factors and, you know, younger women now that we weren't at least reporting or checking or talking about in earlier years. Don't you, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? 
And now a word for one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy, and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No one shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think the, you know, the data on infertility is, is coming up more and more, but what about that preconception group of women who haven't tried to conceive, who aren't infertile? Like what are the impacts on them? We got to do, um, I was part of a, was part of a study, like helped out with a study at WashU called the lifestyle and ovarian reserve study. And it looked at women of reproductive age without a history of infertility and looked at markers of ovarian reserve and all these different lifestyle factors. And so we divided it up and looked at the pro-fertility diet too, specifically, which is all the dietary things that we talked about, but also takes into account the pesticide residue burden and increased intake of lower pesticide residue scores. And in women with overweight or obese BMIs, it actually higher adherence to that type of diet was associated with a higher ovarian reserve as well. So I think there's so much that we don't know at this point in terms of the impacts of like us taking that in at the age of 16, you know, or you yeah. know, our entire lives, really. I mean, I didn't really change over any of my lifestyle until fellowship, honestly, was a lot of it because it was, it was a lack of information and education. And, and I think that that's really challenging to overcome, but I do, I hear you. And I completely agree that there's so many things that are in and around us that we have to pick the things not to be overwhelmed, but to pick the things that are realistic for us to change. And like one thing at a time, like I said, and um, I also think it's helpful to start room by room, right? So your kitchen, yeah, Yeah, then you're going to say, okay, here are my pots and pans. Like you can't change them all over at one time. That's a really expensive endeavor. And, you know, just choosing one go stainless steel, you know, even the ones that are ceramic coated now have other other chemicals in them. (laughs) Yeah. So you just have to have a very discerning eye and, and do your research. And, and invest wisely. And those things will last a lifetime too. You know, I love that advice to go room by room. And I also love the sentiment of you don't have to change everything at once. This is not all or nothing. So you go get rid of the plastic coffee cup and now you have a new one, you know, and just (laughs) start somewhere by making little changes. And I think people got a little bit better when COVID happened about like washing their food and like do, because when nobody knew how COVID was spread, everybody Mm -hmm. was cleaning things better, but Really that pesticide residue and the toxins, you know, in our food. And I think we have to really think about the containers that our foods come in and these packaged foods, like you said, the processed foods and their packaging. It's really Mm -hmm. different to have like broccoli that you've cleaned well versus something that's been processed and put in a package. There's Mm -hmm. just a different level of exposure. So making the same good choices can really go hand in hand and they all can cumulatively 
add up to being really beneficial. Definitely. And then you mentioned personal care products too. I read a shocking, like alarming statistic recently that the average woman puts over 200 chemicals on her body before she leaves the house. house. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think same thing there is just going, okay, hair products, lotion, things that you use on a daily basis and starting there. And I love skin deep database. I I, I use that to kind of look at like safety ratings on products. There's other ways to kind of look about, you know, how safe um, a product that you use is, but also looking for phthalate free, paraben free, all these things that are endocrine disrupting chemicals when the endocrine system is so critically vital for reproductive processes, right? So I think that that part is, is really important as well. I love it. And what about mind body? You know, I think we both think stress and exercise and a lot of these things are important. We both know that stress impacts how your brain sends out hormones, how your body interprets things. How do you advise people when it comes to this mind body relationship with fertility? Yeah. So I think one of the first things is that data has shown that couples who go through infertility have stress levels comparable to those who have been given a cancer diagnosis. And I think that that's one of the things that is most often discounted by women and couples going through the fertility journey, because they're so focused on the next test, the next thing, the next intervention that it's, you forget about yourself and the process sometimes and taking care of you, which is arguably the most important thing in this process. And so, you know, I talked to couples about doing, I mean, there's so many different types of interventions that have been shown to be helpful from, you know, a regular yoga practice while going through fertility treatments to even just simple meditations as well, which have been shown to significantly decrease anxiety and depression scores and improve quality of life. And if you can do that while going through such a stressful process, then then why not give it a try? And there's so many, I think one of like few good things came out of COVID, but one of the excellent things is that there's so many great online options for yoga now, different type of mindfulness, um, you know, apps that you can use too, which is super helpful acupuncture. There's a lot of mixed data on acupuncture and its impact on pregnancy rates. So I don't really, you know, encourage it for that purpose, but for the purposes of improving anxiety, depression scores, again, and improving quality of life, it has been shown to do that consistently. And that part is so important throughout the process. And even like once you're you know, pregnant and kind of on that journey, cause that's a whole, whole different journey too. <laughs> I completely agree. And I think the thing here and all studies show that if you can decrease stress or lessen anxiety, that it's going to be beneficial for you when it comes to treatment or outcomes. However, everybody's really different. And what may Mm -hmm. stress one person out may be stress relieving for the next person. And so question I get asked most is about acupuncture. And so what I always tell people is the needles aren't magic. What is beneficial is taking that time and the space on you and not being to your phone or answering work emails and in a quiet Zen place. And if you're claustrophobic and being on your face makes you feel really overwhelmed or panicky, you're not going to get the benefit because or the you benefit, don't like needles. Or you don't like needles, right? The benefit <laughs> yeah. is to kind of have that drop in cortisol, that like release stressful feeling. And we have to figure out how do you get there for you? Because we're all wired a little bit differently. We all have things that make us better and worse. And I always give off the rattling thing. Is it acupuncture? Is it therapy? Is it exercise? Is it yoga? Is it meditation? You know, what is the thing that you can do for you? Because this is a hard time and it's not going to get easier. Often, I think people have this idea that the moment you get pregnant, it'll be easier. And the reality is a whole new level of anxiety sets in. So having those stress coping mechanisms is really, really important and can be Mm -hmm. beneficial along this entire process. 
Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I would echo that. And I think that that's a good, that's a really good point to drive home is that every single person is different and you can't compare your journey to anybody else's and what worked for one woman may not work for another. And I think that's a lot of the misinformation too, is that, well, this worked for me. So everybody should do this. And that's a really hard fight to fight. And, and I think that's so important to kind of tune into yourself, listen to your body, listen to your needs and, and stay focused on that as well. I think that's really important to restate. So I'll, even though you just said, I'm going to restate it again, (laughs) everybody, everybody's really different and online groups and forums and measures of support. Like I love the Instagram fertility community, Absolutely. but you have to make sure that it is serving you in a good way. Because when you start getting to the zone where you're not taking from it, the support yet, you're comparing yourself and you're feeling like you're not adding up or you're having jealousy. Those are really normal, natural emotions, but maybe that isn't a good, healthy behavior for you at that time. And so stepping away, whether it's from real life, friends, family, colleagues saying, Hey, I need to take some time to myself or be with these other people. Like this is too stressful or even online groups. Like that's okay. You're allowed to ask for help, you know, do something different. You don't have to go to the baby showers. You know, you're allowed to kind of excuse yourself from some of those stressful moments. And I think sometimes people need to hear that it's okay to prioritize themselves. Women especially are so bad at that. And we give so much of ourselves to pleasing others that, you know, your body, your health really can take a hit. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that's really what some of the stress is coming down to is not having good counter mechanisms because we're just burning the candle at both ends. Right. Okay. Pivot for me because you've got a little entrepreneurship spirit when it comes to lifestyle, fertility, and, you know, the importance of trying to break down some of this misinformation. So people who don't know, why don't you kind of dive into, you know, your other endeavors outside of clinical medicine? Yeah. So outside of clinical medicine, um, I'm also co-founder of OviLife MD, which is a digital education company that really combines all of my greatest passions, which is a lot of the stuff that we've talked about. So really kind of helping women identify an evidence-based approach to optimizing the lifestyle factors that impact fertility and reproductive outcomes. And so, you know, we have all sorts of different resources and that focus on kind of those three main tenets. So nutrition, diet, supplementation, um, environmental toxins, and the mind-body component, and really kind of having a community of support through that. And then also the how-to. I think that some of the hardest things is sometimes you can have the information and then not know how to execute or what next or how to take the next step. And so, you know, the goal was to really just kind of be a source of evidence-based information for that, where, where people could come and get those questions answered and then also have a community of support around them while doing it. I love it. That's fabulous. And I just applaud you because that's a rather big undertaking to say, I'm going to kind of compile all of this and become the evidence-based source for it. Has it been overwhelming or easy or what's your experience been? Oh, a little bit of both. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so fun, right? I mean, nobody teaches you how to do this sort of stuff in medicine, right? We're just like, we're totally down one path and it's a totally, it's exercising a completely different part of my brain, which I love and reinvigorates me and in a different way than, than medicine and, and patient patient care does too. I mean, you get to impact so many more women on such a bigger, you know, just have a lot more access in that regard. And that part is just so humbling and gratifying. And, you know, I'm co-founder with my husband who actually did, we met in residency. So he was family medicine resident and then did an integrative medicine 
fellowship and, you know, his side of things really incorporates a lot of the diet, lifestyle, nutrition, and honestly helped me so much on my own personal health journey that it just didn't need to be that complicated. Right. And it didn't need to be that hard to find, you know, good information that people could actually point to some evidence for. And so that's where it was kind of born out of that passion to help make that accessible to a much larger group of, of women and couples going through fertility treatment. I love it. Bless you for doing it with your spouse because like that is like, um, that's a whole other level. But I just, you know, even somebody who had infertility, I was an OBGYN resident and then an REI fellow at the same time. And I felt like I was finding out this information on my own as an educated professional in the field. You know, I was looking up studies and starting to compile it. So I feel like even to really highly educated slash professional people in the field. Sometimes this is not an easy thing or not something that everybody's really taught depending on who your mentors are and what their interests were. So I really applaud you for taking this on. And I think it's going to grow and grow to be such a powerful tool for everybody who's not only just trying to conceive, but trying to take charge of their health overall and their reproductive health. So fabulous job. Ashley, I could talk to you all day long, but I would love it if you would just tell the people, you know, where they can find you on your social handles and how they can follow you so they can keep up with everything you're doing. Yes. Yeah. So I'm most active on at OvulifeMD for Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest. Um, you can find us on there. Our website's ovulifemd.com. Um, my personal Instagram handle, which I'm less active on these <laughs> days, because you'll see me on Ovulife more. I realized something had to give is at Ashley SQMD as well. So it has been so fun chatting with you and just super excited to be here. I love it. Well, I'm going to have you back on so we can do a special episode on PCOS and specific recommendations for PCOS. I think everybody always asks about that and that will be fun for us to do together. So thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you learned a lot. As always, you can follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD or check out the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford MD. Thanks friends. 